0: Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org.
1: Our scripture reading for this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along with your Bible or on the screen. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So, He summoned him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking my position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes." Whoever is faithful in a, very, in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God, and for that we say, thanks be to God.
0: My name is Evan, I'm the senior pastor here, and welcome, thank you for joining us in worship and joining us for this time of reflection on a particularly challenging parable this morning. We've been looking at the Gospel of Luke and stories in Luke that help us to think about how we might love God and our neighbor. Jesus taught us these great commands that we might love God, love our neighbor, and so we're wondering how might we do that together. One of the ways we've been practicing that is by using this good neighbor grid that's in your bulletin. Uh, how's it going? Many have already completed their grid, many are still working on it. Um, the grid is, it's in your bulletin, and it's these squares around you in the center where you're going to write in the names of your neighbors, whether they're the people that live around you or sit around you in class or have apartments or dorm rooms around you, uh, however that works for you, you're to use this to pray for those neighbors. And I'm just asking you to pray for them. Some of you may go above and beyond that. Pastor Zach got to know uh, one of his neighbors and then invited them to be the speaker for Digging In on Thursday, so uh, he gets an extra gold star. That (laughs) podcast will be available this week. It was an awesome conversation, but it is incredible what happens when we get to know and love our neighbor. This morning, we're, we're thinking about loving God and neighbor, and then we get to this peculiar story. And before we dive into it anymore, I wanted to share a video with you of another particular story. I am
2: 83 years old. Uh, I was, I was uh, in the McDonald's drive through this morning. The young lady behind me leaned on her horn and, and, and started mouthing some ugly things because I was taking too long to place my order. So when I got to the first window, I paid for her order along with, with my own. The cashier must have told her what I had done because as we moved up, she leaned out her window and and waved to me uh, as she began mouthing, thank you, thank you, probably feeling embarrassed that I had repaid her rudeness with kindness. When I got to the second window, I showed the server both receipts and I took her food too. Now she has to go back to the end of the queue and start and start all over again. Don't blow your horn at old people. We've been around for a long
0: a long time. Don't blow your horn at old people. I love that video uh, because as I, as I began to watch it, uh, our moderator, Devin Coulson sent me that a few weeks ago. As I was watching it, you know, you have all these expectations of what this older gentleman in the pulpit might say. You're expecting it as he's, you know, paying for someone's food. You know how this is going to go, and then it takes that turn, right? And while this is not the best example of how to love God and neighbor... It is an example of what happens when we encounter a story that just doesn't kind of fit our expectations right away. And certainly that seems to be what happens when we engage with this parable from Jesus. This parable is not one that many people list as their favorites. You won't see it put out on walls or things like that. People build their lives around. No, it's, it's a puzzling Story. And you may be wondering what lesson do I take from this? What we find, I think, when we dig into this story is a message for each of us about what we love. And a relationship and, and, and something about our relationships to things, to stuff, to resources, to our circumstances, and how that affects how we love. There's a challenge for us in this story to imagine how we might be using what means we have, and if that fits with what we say about how we love God and our neighbor. Today I want us to ask if our resources are hurdles or helps to how we love God and neighbor. So to dig into this story, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He sets the scene and says there was a rich man. Right away, they would have reacted to that. In the Gospel of Luke, this character, the rich man, rich men show up often and they often come with a negative light. In the ancient world, like in our world, there is often a stark divide between those with much and those with very little these rich men often had people that they would employ to manage their assets for them, and in this story, we meet that manager. And he is not very good at his job. It becomes clear that his employment is about to end. And I want to read again, starting in verse 3, some of this parable. The manager said to himself, what do I do now? My master is taking the position away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm Too ashamed to beg, so I've decided what to do. When I'm dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill. Sit down quickly, make it fifty. He said to another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. So you can imagine this scenario, this middle manager about to lose his position, his comfort. He looks at his hands and says, well, (laughs) I'm not going to be a digger. (laughs) He thinks, I don't feel like I can beg. I'm not sure I have any marketable skills really at all. So he leverages what he has, which is his master's Rolodex which is apparently like this rolling card thing that people used to keep business cards in before cell phones. I'm not completely sure. I've never had one. But here he has all of these relationships with his master's clients, and he decides to use his position while he has it to make them happy. He thinks, if I can make them indebted to me or grateful for me, if I can forgive some debts for them on my master's behalf, perhaps... After I'm let go, they'll let me crash on their couch or invite me to stay. Perhaps they can connect me with a job. So he goes to these clients, themselves with massive debts, and he forgives these chunks of their debts. Now, scholars aren't exactly sure what he's doing here, why he chooses these numbers, what's happening. We know that it would have cost the master quite a bit. And anyone who would have received this news that their debt had been slashed would have been happy. Can you imagine getting that news yourself? Some think this manager is simply doing arbitrary slashes, trying to help his future. Others argue that perhaps the master was disobeying or or working around the Old Testament command not to collect interest on loans. At the time, it seemed to be a common practice that people would use items like oil or wheat rather than currency as a way to collect interest without technically violating rules about money. It seems like that was a loophole that may have been exploited by the rich. So those who follow that interpretation think, maybe this manager is, is acting sort of like Robin Hood. Cutting off all this unjust interest that has been applied, we we really don't know. What we do know is that in this culture, if the master then went back to those debtors and said, oh, by the way, actually you do owe me the full debt, (laughs) that would have cost him honor and future business. There's just no way. What surprises us, I think, most about this story comes in verse 8. And the master, his master commended this dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. We don't expect commendation. (laughs) We think trouble, but instead, commendation because he acted shrewdly or wisely or with good judgment. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, Jesus says, Make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. There's a lot to unpack there. It's quite puzzling for us. But we see that the Master's praising this manager for acting this way, for using this good judgment. And then Jesus says, I want you to notice how people around you people of this generation use their resources in wise ways for their own benefit. And they do this in a way that is better than the children of light generally. God's people. Jesus says, make friends for yourself then with dishonest wealth. What? <laughs> this does not seem like Jesus, what does this mean? Is Jesus suggesting that we must acquire wealth dishonestly so that we might win friends and influence people? No. <laughs> That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, nothing in Jesus' teaching or life would imply that. And any time we've run into something in the text that confuses us like this, it's a good place to ask. Does this fit what other things Jesus says or the character of Jesus? No. So, so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is calling the wealth dishonest because, as Luke writes, kind of all money comes from worldly places. Luke talks about money in this way over and over again, and and money is a tool, but it's one that can easily corrupt and distract and become an object of worship. We'll see later as Jesus gives more teaching that, that that seems to be what Jesus is saying. Instead, what Jesus is advising His disciples is that that like the manager, they must realize that the things of this world, the things of right now, are temporary. That they should use their resources in a way that reflects where they're going and what is coming in the future. They should use their resources in a way that reflects this new reality that is breaking in all around them. The manager knew that his position was about to be up. He uses his resources to secure what is next. Jesus wants the disciples to know that the things like money, the things that the world's economy values, let's worry about using those for God's economy the kingdom economy, the kingdom that is breaking in now. That Christians understand we live under a new kind of kingdom with Jesus as our King. And in the upside-down kingdom economy, it's better to give than receive, to bless rather than curse, to love, even love our enemies. So Jesus is challenging His disciples to use the materials of right now for the sake of what is to come. For the work of the kingdom that is even breaking in in the moment to use these materials of the age as citizens of a coming kingdom. And this is not so that our neighbors will just bless us back. In fact, in the text we read about the manager is hoping to secure a home, a place to live. And then Jesus says, be welcomed into eternal homes. But the word Jesus uses for home is different than what was used in the parable. Here it shifts to the word for tent. An eternal tent. Sounds like an oxymoron to me. I am not a fan of camping. This sounds less than ideal. Jesus, what are you talking about? It's not about actual tents. It's the same language we see all throughout Hebrew Bible, and then in other places in the Gospel, when talking about Jesus coming to dwell with us, the tent is the place that is set up for God to dwell with us. This eternal tent is our dwelling connection with God. Luke is reminding us that our eternity is secure. We will dwell with God and God with us. And that this reality should shape how we live with the stuff of this world. So yes, we must be wise with our resources, take care of our families. But our ultimate future, our ultimate joy is not tied to these materials. Our future, our now, is secure because of God and God's generosity. The steward realizes his time as manager is coming to an end, so he gets creative and prepares for the new reality that is happening by connecting to these neighbors. And I want you to imagine for a second what it must have been like for these debtors to find out that though they had owed about 100 jugs of olive oil, which would have been an astronomical sum, now half of it is gone. (laughs) Portions of their debt erased. The manager used the resources he had to free others. Keeping an eye on the coming reality that would be his. As we are invited to live as citizens of a kingdom, we're invited to live with a different kind of economy. To live with generosity. Jesus wants to clarify some more of, of what he might mean by that. And so we get some, some teachings from Jesus about resources. In verse 10, Jesus says, whoever is faithful in very little is also in much. And all whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest well, who will entrust you with the true riches? If you've not been faithful to what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? Jesus invites us to be faithful with what we have now, knowing the gifts we've been given now and forever through Christ. In verse 13, no slave can serve two masters. A slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and wealth. I love how the preacher Fred Craddock talks about this passage. He says, The realism of these sayings is simply that life consists of a series of seemingly small opportunities. Most of us this week will not christen a ship or write a book, or end a war, or appoint a cabinet. We'll not dine with a queen, convert a nation. We will not be burned at the stake. More likely, the week will present no more than a chance to give a cup of water, write a note, visit a nursing home, vote for a county commissioner, teach a Sunday school class, share a meal, tell a child a story, go to a choir practice, feed your neighbor's cat. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. So Jesus wants us to see these opportunities that we have, resources that we have, time that we have, and see how we can invest them all in the coming kingdom. Each is an opportunity in the lifestyle of radical and ordinary love. Now, I know you came here to hear a sermon about loving God and neighbors, and I had to go talk about money and stuff. I know. But unfortunately, loving God and loving neighbors involves how we deal with our stuff and our time and our money. Our relationship with our resources often reveals our relationship to God and neighbor. They say if you really want to know what a church values, don't look at the mission statement. Look at the budget. We say the same thing about our household. Brittany and I will declare all kinds of things that we love. If you look at our budget, you'll see we also really love coffee, (laughs) streaming services. Maybe you're like us. How are we using our resources like citizens of a kingdom? Leveraging them for the kingdom that is breaking in all around us with a new kind of economy where we Give things away. Seek the welfare of others. Trust a God who meets needs, Where we can find contentment. Not just in things, but in the love that we are held with. Our stewardship committee talks to us about these six T's of stewardship. I'm going to put them on our screen uh, because it's not just money, right? It's Togetherness, our relationships, treasure, tithe, our money, tissues, our body, time, talent, terrain, how we care for our environment. How are we caring for using, stewarding our resources for the new reality of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God where the most important thing is not stuff or things. (laughs) Are our resources hurdles or helps to how we love God and neighbor? Church, I'm so inspired by you when I think about this. I think about our blessing box out front. How you have committed to feed people through the box, through breakfasts, through brunch that we'll have right after here, through our clothing resources downstairs, through support of our missional partners. Places locally like Acton Faith, Bridge of Hope, the Food Cupboard, bigger partners around the world like the American Baptists, Lines of Baptist, the AWab unto missionaries across the world. I'm inspired. And I believe in these acts of generosity and commitment to use resources for the sake of the kingdom, we are pointing to a God who loves us and is for us who cares for us and invites us to care for others because we understand how much we've been loved. How might we, as we move forward, continue to be free from the fear of having to serve money and wealth and time? How might we utilize our resources to make friends? To invite other people to the freedom we have found? Freedom and the self giving love of Christ. Scholar N.T. Wright applies this parable to churches today, and I want to read that quote to you. The church passes through turbulent times and frequently needs to reassess what matters and what doesn't. In the 20th century, it saw the so called mainline churches like ours in many parts of the world, the traditional denominations in decline with newer churches not least in the in the global south growing and spreading so what should churches what should they do if they find themselves faced with their own mortality of <laughs> things changing perhaps he writes they should learn to think unconventionally be prepared to make new friends across barriers Throw caution to the winds and discover again in the true fellowship of the good news, a home that will last. Friends, we find our security not in things, but in God, who loves recklessly enough to cast grace to all corners, to lavish love and grace even onto you and me. And so may we live as kingdom citizens, faithful in the small things and the big things. With generosity, with friendships. And may our relationships to things and time, our environment, our budgets, our calendars, both as individuals and as a faith community, may more and more and more, may those things show the world how much we love God and our neighbor. Let's pray. God, we thank You that as Jesus came and walked among us, Jesus taught, and sometimes taught in ways that challenge us, stretch us. We thank You for Your Spirit that invites us to wrestle with these things and Take the good news and the generous love you have given us and seek how to respond to that in our world today. Lord, may we be wise with our resources and may we use them as citizens of your kingdom. Building connections. Setting people free. Setting ourselves free. And Lord, continue to meet us as you, who was generous to the point where you would lay down your life for each of us. May we respond wisely and generously in all that we do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.